So when we were children, did we pick up our rooms or clean the house because our parents provided for us? Or was it because we were told to do so? In our text today, we see God's provision and what he asks for us in return. If you would open your Bibles with me, as I said, to the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua. This chapter is Joshua's second farewell address to the people of Israel. Joshua has gathered all of the people at Shechem in order to do this. As we see in the opening verse, I'm just going to read the first verse here to you. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So as I said, this is the second farewell address. In the previous chapter, Joshua gave his first farewell address. The purpose of, of this second farewell address is to renew the Mosaic covenant that was given in Exodus chapter 24. In, in Exodus, the people had been given God's law and they agreed to follow it by saying, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We see Joshua acting here in the same fashion that Moses did. He's acting as both the physical and the spiritual leader to the people. So firstly, we're just going to look at this first verse here. And Joshua gathered the people at Shechem. So just to kind of give you a little bit of context of where this is happening, Shechem has been an important place throughout biblical history so far. Shechem was the initial campsite of Abram when he entered the land of Canaan. It was here that God promised to Abram that he would have the land. And Abram built an altar to the Lord. This is in Genesis chapter 12. Abram built an altar to the Lord because of that promise that was given to him. It's also here at Shechem where Jacob returns after he's sojourning to find a wife. Jacob returns here and he buys a piece of land and settles here at Shechem. And it is also here at Shechem earlier in the book of Joshua, chapter 8, where Joshua built an altar and wrote on it a copy of the law. This was the first renewal of, of the covenant and it was meant to be a blessing to the people of Israel. The second renewal, however, has a different purpose, which we will see as we continue through our text. We're going to look at the next section here is chapters, or sorry, verses 2 through 13. And we see what God did for the people to bring them where they are today. If we look at, at verse 2, Joshua is speaking to the people, but it's actually the Lord that is speaking through Joshua. Verse 2 reads, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So we see through this section here what it is that God did for the people. God brought Abraham away from the gods that his family was serving. As we continue throughout the passage here, we're going to see a little bit of repetition with those false gods. As we're also continuing through the verse here, we look into chapter 3 and we see the promise that was given to Abraham that his offspring would be multiplied. It says, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down 
to Egypt. So we see God through this multiplying Abraham's children, his offspring. And through that, God also, it says Jacob was sent down to Egypt. God sent Jacob down to Egypt through his son Joseph so that they would be able to live through the famine. The famine that was so, so severe that everyone was going to Egypt because of Joseph's leadership. Through that, God, of course, built a nation out of those people. And God then sent Moses and Aaron to those people, as we see in verse 5. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, and what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. So God did a few things while they were in Egypt. He built the nation. Then when he sent Moses and Aaron, God sent the plagues upon the Egyptians, of course, in order that Pharaoh would let the people go. When the people had left, we're continuing in the verse here, chapters, or verses 6 and 7, we see what the Lord did as the people left Egypt. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. So God, of course, did a few things here. He opened the Red Sea to provide safe passage for the Israelites to get through. And after he had opened it, the Egyptians were pursuing them. He protected the people as well by closing the sea upon the Egyptians. And then we also see, it's just briefly mentioned here in the end of verse 7, that God, once the people were on the other side of the Red Sea, God provided for them while they were in the wilderness. Verses 8 through 12 here talk about God giving the land to his people. He gives the land and the people into the hands of the Israelites. God allowed Israel to take possession of the land. This is fulfilling a promise that was given. If you look back with me to Exodus chapter 33, we're going to look at verse 1. Promise that was given to the people. Again, that's Exodus 33, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3 for you here. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. I just want to point out to you just the end of that verse there, because it's going to play a little bit of a role farther down in what's to come. God is saying that the people are a stiff-necked people, so just keep that in mind as we continue on. So looking in, in the verses here, at verse 12, that's talking about what God sent before them. It says, And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. God sent the hornet before them, and this is a picture of fear. God put fear into the people that were in that land, that when the Israelites were coming in, they knew that the Israelites were going to take the land. And 
it was, of course, not by their sword or by their bow that they accomplished anything. Verse 13 here, I think, is really the culmination of this section, though. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. God gave the people of Israel a land that they did not deserve. This also fulfills a promise that was given. If you look back with me, we're going to look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses, verse 10 reads, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with, a great, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Oh, I just want to point out there verse 12 as well. Just keep that in mind as we go. That the Lord said to take care lest you forget the Lord and what he has done. So the land was God's gracious gift to the people of Israel. As we see in the promise that the only thing God asked for in return was that the people took care to remember him. It was only by God's power that the people were able to accomplish anything throughout that. And thus, we see the importance of the renewal of this covenant that's here in Joshua chapter 24. It's a reminder to the people to serve the Lord because of what he, was, because of what he has done. I think it can serve as a good reminder for us as well, if we think back into what the Lord has done in our lives. What has he given us that we don't deserve? And how has he worked in our lives? The next section here begins in chapter 14. And we see Joshua and the people's response to what God has done. This section begins with a shift in the speaker. It's no longer God that is speaking, but it's now Joshua that is speaking to the people. Reading in verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity, and in faithfulness, put away the gods of your fathers, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river, and in Egypt, in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua is urging the people here to be holy, totally devoted, and blameless in their worship of God. The Israelites, of course, had a history of not serving the Lord. And we, we saw earlier that God introduced the fact that he brought Abraham away from the false gods, and now Joshua is reminding the people to also stay away from these false gods. Joshua gives the people a choice between serving the false gods or serving the one true God who had done all of these amazing things that he just spoke about in the previous section. But Joshua had seen the tendencies of the people. 
if we think back to Exodus, Joshua was there when the Israelites were worshiping the golden calf. In Leviticus chapter 17, it mentions that the people had goat idols that the Israelites had sacrificed to. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the people are charged with worshiping demons. So the choice they are to make also has a sense of urgency about it. We see it says, choose this day whom you will serve. The decision we must make, that we must make, is just as urgent. I think we can make a connection here to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches that we are also not able to serve two masters, that we also have a decision to make. We have a choice to either choose to serve God or choose to serve the worldly things that are around us. Chapter 16 reads, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought Joshua, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went wrong, that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. The people here are admitting what God did for them. They admit that they understand the amazing things that he had done. And in these same verses, they're attempting to respond in the same way that Joshua had. They were going to follow him in his leadership. They wanted to follow the Lord in the same way. I think we can make a connection here to leaders. We as Bible college students and leaders and future leaders can often be looked at in the same way that the people had looked at Joshua. People look to us as spiritual leaders and examples to be followed. But are we acting as spiritual leaders? And are we acting as examples that should be followed? Are we attributing the things in our lives to God and his provision? Or letting them fall into disregard, thinking, them, thinking of them as chance or coincidence? <laughs> One of the reasons that the Israelites were to serve God was because of what God had done for them. Is it not the same for us? Has God not done amazing things for us in our lives so far? So this is another reason why this covenant renewal is important. It is a response to what God has done. So the question then, as I, as I said, we should have is, how are we to respond to God and what he has done for us? The climax of our story here, though really I think occurs in verses 19 and 20. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So we see a bit of irony here in the fact that just in the previous verses, <coughs> Joshua had been kind of admonishing the people. He'd been encouraging them to serve the Lord. 
but now he turns and, and tells the people that they are not able to do so. As, we, as I said earlier, perhaps this comes from Joshua's experience with the people already. As I said, Joshua was there at Mount Sinai when they were worshiping the golden calf. It was, Joshua also wandered with the people the extra time in the wilderness because of their unbelief. He was one of the two men that was not afraid to go into the promised land the first time. So Joshua knew the corruption of the people and he saw how easily they turned away from the Lord. But Joshua also gives us another clue as to why he says this in his statement as well. And that is some things about the nature of God. God is a holy and jealous God. Through these, we learn some more about, about God. These characteristics are part of God's nature, and they set him apart from those other false gods and from the people themselves. God's holiness, of course, is riddled throughout the Bible. Wherever God is, it is a holy place, be it a piece of ground, a structure, or a day that is dedicated to him. We see in Isaiah, for instance, that even the angels are speaking of God's holiness. The other thing that we see here is God's jealous nature. And that is also an important thing that sets him apart from these other false gods. Oftentimes, the false gods were jealous of each other. They weren't jealous so much of, of receiving, but they were jealous of each other. God is jealous of getting worship for himself. This is clearly shown as well in the second commandment. If you turn with me one more time, we're going to look back into Exodus again here. Chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Again, Exodus chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God in his jealousy loved his people so much that he desires their undivided attention. In the same way, he also desires our undivided attention. Verse 21, as we look back into Joshua, begins the people's response to what Joshua has just said. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. The people themselves are bearing witness that they will, in fact, serve the Lord. And if we, we look at the, the language here, the people are almost, they're protesting in almost in a hurt manner. They're saying that they will serve the Lord here in verse 21. If, if you think of that, that emotion, Joshua has just told them that they can't do it. But they're saying, but we will do it. So if you can, if you can imagine just the, the hurt that they must have felt, felt being told that they would not be able to do that. Verses 22 through 24. I'm just going to read those for you here. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. 
He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So that's the renewing of that covenant that was made back in Exodus. Joshua holds the people here to be witnesses against themselves. The people specifically said that they will now serve the Lord, even with the warnings that Joshua has given them. This is an attitude of full commitment to the Lord, to reject all others and wholeheartedly serve Him. Joshua was warning about what was to come. Again, we see the repetition here. Joshua was telling the people to stay away from the false gods, to put them aside, and to serve the one true Lord. This is another important aspect of the covenant. The people are officially, verbally committing that they will, in fact, serve the Lord. Verses 25 through 27 here is the covenant that was made. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua here is, is making a covenant for or on behalf of the people. Just a, a quick translation note here. The word that I read is he made a covenant with the people. It has kind of a twofold. It can be with the people, but it's also for the people. So Joshua is, is acting on behalf of them as their spiritual leader. Joshua makes a covenant on behalf of the people, but he is also making it with the people. So he is again, as I said, acting as their leader and doing what is best for them. The people were binding themselves and future generations in service to the Lord. They were saying that they will train up their children in the ways of the Lord. Now Joshua, as, as we saw, Joshua seals the covenant here in two different ways. Joshua records the words in the book of the law of God so that it can be read aloud in the future at appropriate times. And the other thing that Joshua does here is Joshua sets up a stone to be a witness as to what the people have done. And in, in setting up a stone, a stone is, is something that will continue through countless future generations. So the people were claiming that the future generations will also serve the Lord, and that stone would be a reminder to them as well. A stone is a good reminder because a stone is something that may be lost, but it's not something that is easily destroyed. After all this, Joshua, in verse 28, sends the people back to begin actually living out what they said they would. If we look at just the last verses here, we're going to go through verse 31 today. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. 
Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So the people continued to serve the Lord all the days of Joshua and the elders. So they continued to serve the Lord while the people that knew what the Lord had done were still alive. The people served for a time, but of course, we know where this book leads into. The very next book is the book of Judges. And we see that the people were not able to serve the Lord. They go through, through a cycle of falling away and then crying out to the Lord and the Lord redeeming them. The people needed something else to keep their hearts turned to God, which leads in turn to the time of the kings. And this conversation between Joshua and the people and the covenant they made really reveals their need for a savior. And for the one true king, that one true king, of course, is Jesus. We see that the people served for a time because, as I said, they had a strong appointed leader in Joshua and the elders that were there. We too have a strong appointed leader in Jesus. Joshua was appointed for a time, for a specific time, to save that group of people. Jesus is appointed for the salvation of people for all eternity. Both were submissive servants to God. As, strong, as, as that strong appointed leader, Jesus also demands our commitment to him. One way we do that is through the command that's given in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 of, through 20. The Jews may, may have made disciples in that time, but they failed to observe the commandments that the Lord had given. We are to make disciples that who will observe the commandments. Of course, all analogies break down at some point, and the importance between the people's covenant here was to serve the one true God. That is a covenant that we all must make as well. We are not able to serve God on our own. We need Jesus to bear our sin and shame in order that we can be in a right relationship with God and serve him as we should. Father, I just thank you for, for this day, Lord. Thank you for this time, and Lord, I thank you for, for your word, for your scripture. Lord, I thank you for, for the examples that you have provided to us. Lord, I ask that you would just help us to, to serve you, Father, that we would be able to keep our hearts focused and keep our minds focused on you as we go throughout our days and, and throughout our time here at Bible College and continuing on to the rest of our lives. Father, I, I just again thank you and, and praise you for this day. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.